Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Let's just take a moment and uh, open up in a word of prayer if we can. Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. And Father, we, we just uh, rejoice in you today, God. We we thank you that for such a time as this, that we are alive, because we're going to see awesome things, Lord. We're going to see you move in a way that is uh, biblical in nature, God. You are going to uh, do supernatural things in people's lives, radically and wonderfully changed. We're going to see revival, God, in ways that we never thought was possible. And Lord, we're just thankful, God, for your grace. Help us tonight, Father, that our hearts, as we open them, that we would receive the word and that... God, that we would uh, uh, just be blessed by your truth and, and all that you've done for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight, uh, it's going to be a little bit <coughs> interesting tonight. Um, I only got a couple scriptures. I, I know that it's like, well, this is a Bible study. Shouldn't we be studying the Bible? Well, we are. Uh, trust me, we're going to dig enough out of these couple scriptures that it's going to be uh, valuable. And so... I hope that what you do is just indulge me a little bit tonight, um, because this is something, this subject is something that probably somewhere around 2014, God really began to uh, speak this stuff into my life, and it's, it's been something that has been an ongoing process in me. It's been something of a, a, of a learning journey. It's been somewhat, somewhat of, to, in some ways, I've had to unlearn some stuff and learn some new stuff in its place. Um, how many know that sometimes you can get caught in a warp through the years of Christianity and you can believe things that were never true? Uh, maybe you believe a tradition that was a tradition of man or a church or, or some organization that somehow, you know, it's kind of like uh, people that say, you know, it's in the Bible, you know, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. And uh, I've read the Bible a lot and have never read that verse. Uh, now, I believe the sentiment is there. I believe cleanliness is next to godliness. I think that's the point of salvation is that we'd be clean. But Jesus didn't stress too much on like washing hands. In fact, when they came at him, He's like, you guys just don't even get it, do you? He goes, you know, you guys are so worried. You, you know, you spend so much time cleaning up the outside, but you do nothing to clean up the inside. He says, you know, you got, you've kind of got this backwards. And so sometimes in, with a subject like what we're going to talk about tonight, it's uh, sometimes having to relearn some things. Uh, unlearn and then relearn. And so tonight we're going to begin a, uh, this new Bible, Bible study series, uh, and we're going to be dealing with identity. Um, I can't tell you, and I don't know that I could ever stress enough to you, and I hope that through this study tonight you see what I'm talking about. I can't tell you how important this is. This is not one of those uh, lightweight or incidental subjects. This is one of those very primary, very core uh, subjects that affects our entire life. And my personal opinion is that other than sin, having a wrong identity or not knowing our identity in Jesus is probably the most dangerous thing in our life outside of sin. Now, we know sin is devastating. We understand that. We know that, that it, sin separates us from God. Sin can take us to hell. Sin destroys life and on and on and on, and we know those things. But let me tell you something. What we're talking about tonight, identity, not knowing our identity or having a distorted identity is probably a, a close second to those on the, on, the, on the Richter scale, if you will, of things that can destroy your life. Our identity is so critical to not just life, but daily life. It's uh, through the lens. Now, this is what I want you to listen to me about. It is through the lens of identity that everything is viewed. Now, I'm going to try to explain this to you in, in this way, so bear with me. So, when we look at life and we look at things that are happening, oftentimes when we go to 
change life or fix things or deal with problems or overcome or whatever, we come to this thing of what's happening, the behavior, the actions, all of the different things that go on. It comes to this place of this, this place. And human nature is such that we spend enormous amounts of time doing that, spending time with what he said, she said, what we did, who did this, on and on and all this stuff with never any consideration of over here of what's behind all of that or the why, the why of it. Why did that happen? Why did I get angry? Why was I upset? Why did that hurt my feelings? Why do I feel the way I do? Why? Whether it's good or bad, why is this happening? And so identity is a lens. It's a, you know, if you had, if these glasses were colored pink, then everything in my life would look pink, okay? And if I don't know that I have pink colored glasses on, then I would look at you and say, well, life is pink. And you go, no, no, it's not. There's lots of other colors out there. No, 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 it's all pink. No, it's all pink to you because you're wearing those pink lenses and you don't know it. And so identity is a lens. And when that lens is distorted, have, has anybody ever had their glasses broken? Yeah, oh yeah, ha, you know, and you gotta, it's like, it's gonna be two days before you get your new ones. And it's like your prescription is so strong that without glasses, you might as well just, you know, have somebody you know, leading you around. Well, that's kind of the way I am. And I've had I have both lost my glasses and had my glasses broken. I remember years ago, we, we were really young, uh, Kathy and I and Dean and Wendy, uh, Kathy's sister and brother-in-law, uh, we went to a conference in California. And we're down there, and we decided one day after the conference was over uh, in the afternoon, we were going to go to the beach. And so we went to the beach, and we're playing in the waves and all of that. And I got hit by a wave, and one of the waves knocked my glasses off. And into the drink they went, and I couldn't find them. They were gone. Well, Wendy says to me, she goes, hey, look, she goes, I've got a pair of glasses. She goes, I wear contacts. And she goes, I think our prescription is pretty close. You know, close only counts in hand grenades and nuclear war, you know. And so pretty close isn't good enough. And I remember walking around. So I went to the conference with women's glasses on, and that was bad enough. But I'm, I'm walking around with these glasses that are pretty close. But everything was distorted. Everything. And I mean, and it's hard. It's, you know, it's tiring. It was fatiguing. I mean, my eyes were tired, and there was times it's like, oh, man, I'm just better just do this. I'd, be, I'd rather close my eyes than look through these things. And that's what happens with identity. Identity is a lens, and when that identity is broken or when that identity is distorted, it affects everything, everything including your present attitude. Whatever attitude you came into this room tonight with, good or bad, came as a result of those lenses called identity. Are you understanding that? So, you know, the way we think, the way we feel, the decisions we make or, or don't make, the people we hang out with, the direction of our lives, even our spiritual lives is affected by our understanding of our identity. And the greatest epidemic to ever impact the world today is not global warming, okay? Whatever you might think about that. It's not terrorism. It's not even COVID. It's something that's much more subtle, far less dramatic, and infinitely more deadly. And it's been a problem for thousands and thousands of years, and it has pl plagued mankind from the very beginning. And the great epidemic is simply this, identity in crisis. Identity in crisis. It's something that every person in this room, everyone, struggles with at some level or another. All of us are struggling with that. All of us are in process of developing new identity. If you are a Christian today and Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, 
from the time you got saved, from the very moment you invited Jesus into your life to this moment, no matter how much time has passed, if it's been a day, an hour, a month, or decades, you are on the spectrum of growth in learning your new identity. Does that make sense? You are learning. For some of us, we don't learn as quick, so that's been a struggle. For some of us, we've been hindered because we've had wrong information. We've been taught wrong. We've believed things about ourselves that was not true, was absolutely not true. We've believed things about our nature. After, I'm talking about after salvation. We've believed things about how God acts and what he thinks about us that's not true, that distort our identity. All kinds of things because, look at one of the things that happens in Christianity is a thing called religion. Religion is a man-made construct. See, religion is man's attempt to reach God. Religion is man's attempt to be godly on his own. It's all about performance. Well, if you read the Bible to any minor length, you'll find out that we are really not good performers as human beings. That's what the Old Testament taught us. The Bible talks about the Old Testament was a schoolmaster and it showed us that we don't have the ability to actually fulfill the law. We can't keep the law perfectly, so we are always on the disappointing end because we don't do real good at it. So Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, came up with a plan that says, look it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come, and I'm going to come in the form of a man, a perfect man, and I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to fulfill it perfectly in every way. Fulfill its purpose. The, the reason it's here, the reason it came, the reason we have the law, I'm going to fulfill that purpose. Then, when you exercise faith in me, I am going to then impute to you my righteousness. So faith in me is going to make you righteous. So then your, your identity will be righteous. But what religion does is because religion is a man-made construct, because of fear, what happens is because we're afraid, oftentimes the people that are in control of religion, they're afraid the people, the masses, won't do what they're supposed to do because they are either not educated enough or they're not mature enough or they're not this enough or that enough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to institute in the midst of the context of freedom more rules for you to follow, thereby helping you to be righteous. But what happened? What is it we learned? We're not really good at rules. So what happens is we just come up with sneakier ways to overcome the rules. We just come up with a lot more accommodating theology why the rule doesn't apply to me. The whole time, identity then becomes distorted. So then what I have to do in religion is I have to now make the punishment for the disobedience of rules that I've made so severe that it's going to force you to do it. Therefore, you are now going to believe things about you that is not true. And because it's religion, I'm going to do it in the name of God, therefore believing things about Him that is not true. And it distorts everything. Is this making sense so far? Okay. So in the history of mankind, the running theme that has been common with all humanity is the struggle to understand our identity, whether male or female, saved or unsaved, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, no matter who you are, where you came from, identity has been an issue in your life. Now listen, all the struggle, this is why I'm saying this is so important, all the struggle with gender confusion, I was telling my father-in-law just a moment ago, I, I saw a meme that Kathy and I saw a meme 
on, uh, on the internet the other day that we thought was kind of funny. The person put on there, it says, I am now identifying as invisible. <laughs> so therefore, I'm transparent. And the pronouns that you can call me by are who and where. And see, we laugh at that, and that's funny, and it, it is funny, but the, the, the reality is, is that's what's going on because there is confusion about who we are. So gender confusion, homosexuality, addictions, abuse of every kind has its roots in identity that is either distorted or unknown. In fact, at the very core of sin... And I'm going to show you scripturally. This is one of the scriptures we're going to look at. At the very core of sin is an identity issue. I want you to look back for a moment at the very first temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." Now, there's a lot of amazing things in this to me. The first thing that jumps out at me when I read this story is that when Eve rehearses back to the devil what God has said, she is already vulnerable because she did not repeat what God really said. She said to him, we can eat everything in the garden, but the tree in the midst of the garden, we can't because if we eat of it, or touch it, we'll die. Now, here is my logic, and once again, I know there's probably a lot of people that could take issue with this logic or maybe even say that this is not true, but once again, let's just, let's just narrow this down to my opinion, okay? Is that if you are going to be the caretaker of the garden, which that was their job, you're probably going to have to touch it now, I don't know. I don't know. I do know God says don't touch the thing that is holy. I, 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 you know, I understand that and, you know, the whole thing about the Ark of the Covenant and all those things and, you know, those kinds of stuff. I get that. I understand there's precedent for that. But the thing is, nowhere do we find in the discourse between God and Adam and Eve that God ever had a prohibition on touching. Now, one can assume it, but you are in the same territory with your opinion that I am in because there's no proof either way. But nonetheless, we have no record of God ever saying that other than what she's saying. And she's already compromised. He said, how do you know she's already compromised? She's listening to the devil. She's giving him an audience. That's compromise. And the amazing thing is, in the midst of this temptation, Satan is actually challenging Eve's identity. Satan simply asks Eve a strategic question. It was a question designed to distort her identity. Eve believed a lie. She believed there was something that God had not done for her. Think about this just for a moment. She believed something was missing. This is what this question was to do. The question was designed to get her to consider that she was lacking. What does he say? He says, you will be like God. If I remember when God set out to create man, he says, let us create them in our image and in our likeness. And then when Adam was nothing but a lump of dirt at that point, God breathed into him. So there was the deposit of something godly. There was the essence of 
a portion or an element of God that was deposited into man, and the result is he became a living soul. Every other created thing does not have that distinction. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So in every way possible, Eve was already like God. But what does the devil do? He sows this lie that's designed to get her to believe that she's missing something, that God is holding out, that somehow there's more to be had. I can be better than I am now. She's a perfect woman in a perfect body with a perfect husband in a perfect environment in a perfect relationship with God, perfect in every way, but the devil sows the thought challenging her identity of being like God and thereby challenging God's identity by calling him a liar. Because that's in essence, he says, no, 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 God knows. God really didn't mean what he said. He knows that if you eat this, really, you'll be just like him. And that's, you know, God don't want you to be like him. Because he doesn't want any challengers. Tell, let me, let me I, I'm a, I can tell you, you don't like challengers, man. See, the devil always shows up with enough truth to make it believable. The devil goes, let me tell you my story, man. I challenged God one time, and he threw me out of heaven so fast it was faster than lightning. So I can tell you, God don't want anybody challenging him. So you know what, Eve, that's why he's prohibiting you from eating the fruit of the tree is because if you eat it, God knows you'll be just like him, and he don't like that. So he's holding out on you. (laughs) Isn't that sinister? It's wicked. She begins to believe, so what happens? She then begins to believe that she was not what she thought she was. Her identity is changing. It went, her identity went from perfect to wanting. Perfect to lacking. And the result is that she alienated herself from the life of God. She abandoned the promises and the power that had made it possible for her to live in paradise. And her new identity began to drive her emotions. And her emotions drove her actions. And the moment Eve believed the lack or the lie of lack, her identity changed and she became driven by fear instead of faith. Now, before you men go, man, what did these ladies do to us? That's the question. The Bible indicates that Adam was actually right there with her. The Bible says Eve was deceived, Adam just blew it. He just went for the fried ice cream. He just went, yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's go for it. He let, he, he, he let God down. One of the core desires, listen to me, one of the core desires of our life in, real, in, in reality is the very basic need to find out who we are, why we are created, and what we're going to do about it or what God wants us to do. This is not, it's neither new or isolated. We all want to know who we are. I have found now that I'm getting older, uh, I've started to to notice something. I remember back when I was young and um, my grandma was around. My grandma lived a long time. My my dad's mom, she lived till she was 95 years old. And and I remember my, my mom's mom and dad. I remember my, my dad's mom and dad and all of that. And I remember I had no time for the stories back then. I even remember Kathy's grandfather, Dan's dad. Uh, he was, Dan's dad was a storyteller. Every time you got with him, he would tell you a story. And his stories were rich because they were all about the history of this area. The reality is, is in many ways, their family were pioneers to this area. In fact, I, I've, I've done some research now on our families, and I have found, I think it's Kathy's uh, third great-grandfather. We actually found his gravesite. It's, he's buried in a little place called Serbat. 
It's a little ghost town that doesn't exist no more, but there's a cemetery there. You have to have a quad to get up into those mountains, and there's his cemetery. And he was a mine inspector. He was a cribbing inspector. And so Dan's dad, his name was Joe. Joe's in heaven now, but he used to love to tell stories. And when I was young, it was kind of like, okay, okay, listen to the story. And back in those days, I was motivated because Kathy was my girlfriend. And so I'm, I'm going to put up with all the stories I can hear because I have an ulterior motive because Kathy's my girlfriend. Okay, so I'm going to put up with it. But now today, I'd give just about anything to sit for hours. I would sit for hours and I would record every story he told. Because the reason why is because as the older we get, this desire to really know who we are, I think, becomes more acute. Who are we really? Who are we? It's something that I think that is hardwired. So I've kind of taken on for my family the role of historian. So for the last probably eight years, nine years, I've been amassing and recording family history on my side, Kathy's side. You know, now that my children are married, I even got their families in it and, you know, on and on. Because one day, because even my boys at their age now, they still don't really care. They think it's interesting a little bit. The little boys have no appreciation for it. But there will come a day when those little boys will go, where did I come from and who am I? And it's part of who we are. Well, in a spiritual sense, that's true as well. Why am I on this planet? Why did God created me, create me? The great desire for identi- identity has even been the driving force of religious studies, cultural research, philosophical and theological debate. Why are we here? It's a consuming thought that ever that 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 gets on everyone that's alive. And when we think about it, we are always trying to find ourselves. See, that's kind of how the younger generation, it's like, I just got to go find myself. I just got to figure out who I am. They not, may not be able to appreciate the past, but they could certainly appreciate the present and the future. And they're trying to figure out, see, midlife crisis, teen rebellion, and even the post-retirement blues are all about identity in crisis. Are you hearing that? I, probably the question that I am asked the most as a pastor is, what am I supposed to do? What's the will of God for me? That's probably the question that I get asked most, is, like, you know, what, what does God want me to do? Who am I supposed to be? What, who am I? What is my identity? And what this all boils down to is the search for significance. The desire for sufficiency and the need to feel secure. Are you hearing what I'm saying? To put it another way, every person in this room is really looking for only three things. Safety, satisfaction, and rest. When you think about it, when you think about those three categories, you're going to find out that any desire you have will fall into one of those categories, into one of those three. And that's why it's so absolutely critical that as Christians, we understand our identity in Christ. Jesus said this through Paul writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, 7, or verse yeah, 17, I believe it is. is that he says, old things pass away, all things become new. If we're in Christ, we're a new creature. That means we have a new identity. We, we identify with new things and people see us differently. We are not the same old thing that we've always been. Oh, we can act like it. We can choose to go act like that we used to. We're free to do that. But we have a brand new identity. That's what he's told us. And it's from our true identity that we experience that safety. You know, when I say safety, you know what I'm talking about? Is I'm talking about not having insecurity. 
If there's anything that I've learned about me and about people over the years is I've learned this, is insecurity is prolific. People live in insecure places all the time. And we are always wrestling to feel safe. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We are all wrestling to feel satisfied. That's why being in America, this is probably unique to Western culture, that's why more is never enough. Do you know why more is never enough? It's because we're still identifying as orphans rather than children of God. See, an orphan will always go to the food line and hide food in their pockets because they never know if that will be there tomorrow. But a child knows Father will always provide. I have no reason to want any more than I have because there will always be more than enough. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then rest, the, the ability just to rest. Once again, the older I get, the more that becomes a premium. Is just to be able, and when I talk about resting, I'm talking about being present in the moment. I have found up to this point that I have spent an enormous amount of time either in my past trying to figure it out or in my future worrying about what's going to happen and completely oblivious to my present of what's really going on. So I have tried. There's been moments where I've been with my wife sitting on the couch and we're holding hands and I've just closed my eyes and I've said to myself, be in the moment. There's been moments when I've been holding one of the grandbabies and they put their head on my shoulder and I tell myself now, just be in the moment. Don't, 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 don't trade this for what is he going to be like when he's in college? Who cares? He ain't there. He's here. Don't worry about what happened yesterday. It, it, it don't matter. It's done. It's over. It's past. Can't do nothing about it anyway. But be here now. That's my definition of rest. We, we spend so much time lamenting the past or worried about the future that we don't enjoy the moment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the reason that so many are insecure, empty, and tired is because they don't know who they are. And it's my hope that in the next, this week and the next couple weeks, that what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to expose this lie that Satan has propagated and that we will be, dis- be able to discover who we really are in Christ or at least have the basis of it to where we can begin to mine it out deeper. See, the devil knows deceiving. If he can keep you from understanding who you are, on Christ, who you are in Christ, he can keep you from experiencing the power and freedom that is your inheritance as a child of God. He can keep you from that. So I want to look at our second portion of Scripture so that we could see this truth. It's in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, and it's talking about the young man Gideon. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So so he said to him, O Lord, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. 
I love this story because I think of all the characters in the Bible. Uh, there's some that I can identify with a little bit. But this is the guy I probably identify with the most. I love it because it's so real, and at least in my life, it's been my story in many ways. And I think, truthfully, it's a lot of people's story because there's so many that are struggling. They're struggling, and that's what's happening here with Gideon. He's struggling, and what this text is doing is it's revealing what Gideon is struggling with. Gideon, whether you know it or not, is headlong in an identity crisis. The angel of the Lord shows up where Gideon is working, and he begins this incredible conversation. The angel calls out to him, and um, he doesn't, this is the funny thing, he doesn't command his, him to come to attention. He doesn't demand reverence. He doesn't even call him by name. The angel of the Lord makes a declaration of who Gideon is. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's just like God. It is just like God. Over and over again through the Bible, from Moses to Abraham to Jacob, he became Israel to David. David was a man after God's own heart. Here's a man. David was a man that had bloody hands. This was a guy that probably wasn't a real friendly dude, although he loved God. Peter changed his name. He says, right now you're flaky, flaky like a leaf, but you're going to be a rock. Paul, he, he was known as Saul of Tarsus, but then he became Paul the Apostle. When God spoke to them, he called them by their true identity rather than who they appeared to be. Now the amazing thing is Gideon completely missed it. Because Gideon responds to the Lord with complaint. Like, well, if the Lord's with us, he, you know, here he goes, hey, mighty man of valor, the Lord's with you. And Gideon goes, yeah, right. If he's with us, why am I in this wine press hiding out from the enemy so that they don't steal our wheat? Why? Where are the miracles? Well, I'll tell you what, you know what? This kind of bugs me a little bit. You know, my, my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather, they told me stories about the good old days, how God showed up. Well, where is God exactly at? You, you look at me and go, you mighty man of valor. Yeah, right. Are you catching that? Why has he abandoned us? And I thank God for God's patience. Because the Lord is unmoved by Gideon's rant, and he speaks to him again. And not only does he reveal his identity, but he then reveals his purpose. He says, you are a mighty man of valor, so... Go in this might of yours. <laughs> I, I, I mean, think about this. This is the least of the least hiding in a wine press. And he goes, hey, mighty man of valor, go in this might of yours, for you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And then he asks him a question. God always asks questions that seem a little dumb. I know lightning's not going to fly. I already talked over with God. He goes, have I not sent you? Well, this is the first time we've had the conversation, God. <laughs> not really sure what. This is all news to me. Think about the implication of these words. Go in this might of yours. What might? He's hiding, he's angry, his faith is shook, he's tired, and quite honestly, he's just about done. And God says, you're going to go save Israel. And Gideon says, I'm no savior, I'm weak. In fact, my family is the weakest of the weak, and I'm the least of the family. And God says, no, no, I've sent you. I've called you. I have plans for you before you were ever born. I know exactly who you are, Gideon. I never forgot. You might have, but I haven't. So what's happening here? God is revealing to a man the true nature of his identity and his purpose that got buried under a mountain of circumstance. That's what the devil's good at. He, he buries us. He buries us in a mountain of circumstance. Some of us more than others. 
before the foundation of the world, before you were ever conceived, before your entrance into this world, God planned you. And he gave you a significant, unique identity and a specific purpose. That is absolutely true of every person drawing breath in their lungs right now, saved or unsaved. So, well, what do you mean about the unsaved? Salvation is the, is the chemical that exposes the pitcher that is truly you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Think about that. Jeremiah 1.5 says this out of New Living Translation. It says, I knew you before you, I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. And it's that very identity and purpose that was deposited in your life before you took your first breath. And that is incredibly important to your daily life. Because it's that identity and purpose that has potential to change the world. And it's that identity and purpose that brings glory and honor to the kingdom of God. And it is that identity and that potential and purpose that you view life through. Either you see it as what it really is, or you see a distortion of it. Either way, that's your identity. And it is for that identity and that purpose that Jesus hung on the cross between heaven and earth, spilling every drop of his blood so he could restore that identity to its original plan. It's that identity and that purpose that the devil has been trying to steal. Because a man or a woman armed with the understanding of who they really are in Christ and the purpose for which they are called is completely unstoppable. Please, please listen. If you're getting this, get this. This is why it's so important. When we fail to understand our identity, we are no match for the devil. He will run roughshod over our lives, convincing us of every lie he can manufacture. But when we understand our identity, who we really are in Christ, the devil is no match for us. Let me share this with you. Oftentimes I share my vulnerabilities because I I think sometimes I know my story better, better than anyone else's. When I grew up, I grew up, I was an only child. And I grew up, and that wasn't necessarily so bad, except that in 21 years, we moved 22 times. And so there wasn't a lot of time to get to know friends and have long-term relationships and that kind of thing. And so what happened to me through school, particularly in high school, is that I learned quickly how to use self-deprecating humor to get the advantage. And so I was intelligent enough to see that I didn't always fit in because I got saved when I was seven. And so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to the parties, I didn't drink, I didn't drug, I didn't do those things. I was not that person. And so I didn't already fit in. And I was kind of a nerd a little bit, you know, because I was into computers and, you know, such as they were back in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, th- that was kind of who I was. My mom and dad worked at the high school that I went to. So that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> you know, they knew I was in trouble before I knew I was in trouble. You know. And so what happened is I became of sorts a chameleon. And so I, could, I learned how very quickly to fit into any crowd. So if I was with, with all, and I, I was at one point, I took a calculus class in 11th grade, and there was only five students in it, me and four others. And I learned how to operate within the realm of those that were highly intelligent. I was not as intelligent as they were, but I could act well. And um, then I learned how to hang out with you know, drug addicts. I learned the lingo. When you learn the lingo, man, it's, it, you know, all you got. I didn't know anything that I was saying. I probably said stuff. They're going, what? But you learn the lingo. I could, I could hang out with all the athletes. 
I was strong enough to make a showing. You know, I wasn't really the strong guy, but I was enough to at least do something in weight training. And so I, I kind of was able to fit in. And so what ended up happening is through that, that vulnerability, that, that, that chameleon thing, I was able to uh, beat them to the punch before they could say anything about me being a nerd or being this or being that or being this thing. I said it because it hurt a lot less. What it did is while it may have been a okay coping tool in high school, what it did in adulthood is literally became almost crippling. Because I, I would face adult challenges with great insecurity. And I was very prone to believe lies about me. The lies that the devil would, you can't, you can't, you're not going to make any difference. You can't do this. You, you're not going to, who, who's going to listen to you? Who's this? Who's that? You know, and I remember, I, even to this day, I still struggle. I know it's going to sound weird to you, but if I, if I find myself in a, um, in a meeting with several other people, pastors, and I don't know them real well, I'm kind of the wallflower because I have to fight through first this idea of who wants to hear anything you have to say. And I have to fight that through. Now, I, I have a, a group of friends and, and, you know, pastors, and we get together, and I don't feel that so much because of the fact that we're friends and we've kind of broken those barriers. But in the initial stage, now, as I'm getting older and as I'm, as I'm walking more and more in freedom, believing the truth about myself rather than the lie, I have a lot to say. In fact, I have a lot of good things to say. And, and in fact, I'm going to say them. And I'm, one of the things I love about age is you stop caring if anybody matters. <laughs> you kind of actually enjoy the attention now. And so the point is, I, I cannot tell you that I have perfected this because I haven't. Because I do still care about what people think. I still do seek people's approval. I do still have to fight those things. And, and it's funny because the number one way that the devil will fight me in this is I'll get behind the pulpit and I'll preach and I'll know while I'm preaching. I know. I'm not ignorant. I know the anointing's on me. And I know God is using me and I could see people and people will come up afterwards. And I've told you this before. People will come up afterwards. I'll have 10, 15 people come up. Man, that helped me. Man, praise God, you know, you, all this great stuff. And then I'll have one person go, the rest of the day, I'm thinking through the guy going, what's meh about? What, what is that? Why? What, why? Why? Now I want to go, I want to go knock on his door and, what, 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 what? You're just anti-Christian? What are you? How in the world? What, why would you walk up to somebody and go, eh. yeah, your, your church is, it's, it's, a quaint, it's a quaint little church. I got blood, sweat, and tears in this place, literally. That pillar has my blood on it. That one has my sweat. And I cried in that corner for about four hours one day. I'm and so, you know, all of these things begin to go to work. And if I'm not careful, if I don't push them off, if I don't say, wait a second, devil, you are a liar. And you are the father of it. And start actively me. Because look, a lot of times what happens is we get, we get in this place waiting for God to do something. And God says, I did do something. I sent my son. He died on the cross so that I could give you my name, my word, my authority, and my power. And I have given it to you so completely that you could give it away if you wanted to. But I've given it to you. Now my expectation is that you would stand up. And the moment you stand up to speak that word, I will stand up and back that play. Yes. So we're waiting for God to intervene. But he says, I already 
did, and the reason that we're convinced we got to wait is because we don't know that we are the children of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, with the right and privilege of sonship. John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he the right, the privilege, the power to become the sons of God. And he says, and this was not the will of flesh and blood, but this was the will of God in heaven. It was his will to make me his son. And you too. And I don't know how women are sons. I don't know how I'm a bride. But we will figure that out later. (laughs) The point is, that's the way it is. And so somehow, when we get a hold of this and truly get a hold of this, we can stand and go, no, devil. It's kind of like, can you imagine a fourth grader coming at you? Just hold their little head right there. He's swinging. It's like, are you tired yet? (laughs) Go away. You bug me, kid. And I don't mean to trivialize spiritual warfare, but let me tell you, that's how much power we have. So once again, I can't tell you how important this is because it affects everything. It affects everything. So as I close, I want you to just consider this. I'm just going to jump to the close here. Um, I want you to consider these realities, and I'm just going to read them off. And all of these, I guarantee you, you can find direct scripture for them. I am a child of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am loved. I am free. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am gifted and empowered. I am sanctified by truth. I am redeemed. I am, uh, I am not forsaken. I am saved. I am alive in Christ. I am an heir and joint heir with Christ. I am accepted. Accepted. I am an active part of the body of Christ. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm a king and priest before him. I am royalty of the highest level. I am his in every way. I'm a new creation in him. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I am uh, God's very own design made on purpose for a purpose. Amen. And there are literally hundreds of more identifying marks of who I am. That's why tonight we need to get a hold of this. We, and like I said, this, is a, this has been a journey for me. Again, like I said, it started somewhere around 2014. There was inklings of it prior to that. I mean, there was inklings of it going all the way back to when I was pastoring in Needles. But this really became a, a, a focal point in my study and in my meditation in 2014. And I could say that it has changed me. I'm not done by any stretch of the imagination, but I am changing, and I believe you can too. Amen? Amen. Why don't we go ahead and real quick uh, just close in a word of prayer, and we're going to let you get out of here just a little bit early tonight, okay? So, Father, we thank you, God, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are helping us and encouraging us. We thank you that, 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 that you're revealing to us, line upon line, precept upon precept, our identity. Lord, that we may walk in it, that we may enjoy it, and Father, that we may use it to the full for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You have a great night. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.